Good morning. Welcome to our Sunday morning service. Welcome, Welcome to our, our Sunday, Sunday morning, morning service. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me.
Well, good morning and welcome to our service. Let's begin with those thoughts that we've just been singing about in our minds uh, by praying together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can sing how you have prepared a place for us in your family. And we praise you for the wonderful work of salvation that you have done, that we are forgiven of our sins and given new life in Christ and all the blessings which we saw in Ephesians 1 last week. We pray that this morning you would make those blessings more real to us, that we can praise your name and live out our faith in Jesus more deeply. Whatever the situation we find ourselves in today, we pray that through the worship this morning and through our differing situations, we would know you better and have a deeper understanding and experience of the blessings that we have in Christ. We pray for those who cannot say that they know you. We pray that at a time of pandemic, a time where thoughts turn to death, that many would turn to the one who has conquered death. Please, our Father in heaven, would you save people, even people today who are taking part in this service. We pray especially for our family members, that they would be able to join the greater family of faith as followers of Jesus. This week we also pray for different needs in our church. We pray for healing for those who are sick. We especially pray this morning for Carol Whitehouse, that the treatment that she is undergoing would work and that she would be restored to health and strength again. We pray for those whose family members are very ill at this time. We continue to pray for Pat Davies and her sister Violet. We pray that you would protect and keep Violet and help Pat to have strength, energy, and comfort from you as she continues to care for her. We pray for the Nix family as they are unable to see Jane at this time. We pray for your comfort for her, for Stuart and Louise, and for David. Help them to turn to you at this time and know your strength and peace. We pray for David Ray's mother also. Would you help her to recover from her fall and protect her from getting COVID-19 while she is in her care home? We pray also for those who are feeling lonely at this time. May they know the presence and peace of your spirit and the love of your people day by day. We thank you that we can pray these things knowing that you are the God who has all things under control and who works all things for the good of your people. We love you, we trust you, and we give you our concerns we give them into the hands of our Father in heaven. Amen. Well, last week we considered the wonderful blessings of being God's people. The wonderful things that God has done for us in Christ. All of these blessings we read were for the praise of his glory. And so now we're going to sing of that glory we're going to sing of those wonderful blessings that God has given us. First of all, by singing, Holy Father, 
rich in mercy. Let's sing together.
Well, if you return in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to continue this morning looking at this letter that Paul wrote uh, to Christians. And having seen last week the blessings that we have in Christ, we're going to continue looking now at what Paul has to say from verses 15 to 23. If I was to ask you, how specifically can I pray for you today? What would be your answer? As we go through the prayer diary, we may wonder, uh, how can we pray for the names and the faces that we see? And often uh, we have said that if you don't know what to pray for, then ask. And I know that much asking has been going on over the phone over the last few weeks about what to pray for uh, for one another. I'm sure that your answers to the question of how I could pray for you would be good things, things that are worthy of prayer. But Paul, in this passage in Ephesians 1, gives us something that as Christians, we can pray for all Christians at all times. What Paul prays for God's people and what we need to be praying is that we would know that you are blessed. Perhaps at this moment in time when we can't see each other, being able to pray for one another takes on even more significance. Prayer is something that many Christians struggle with, and one struggle is knowing, well, what should I pray for? Those prayer requests that we mentioned a moment ago are all things that we should be praying for, no doubt. But here, Paul shows us how to pray in the light of the awesome truths that we saw last week in verses 1 to 14. Last week, if you remember, we saw that we are a blessed people. We are chosen. We are rescued. We are enlightened. We are heirs. Let's see how Paul prays in the light of those truths in Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is God's word. And notice in this part of God's word, in this passage, all the words that relate to knowledge. 
There is no wisdom, revelation, knowledge, enlightened. We have just heard awesome, wonderful truth about how we are blessed. But Paul does not want us to just understand this doctrine in our heads. He wants us to know it deeply and experientially. We will see as we study this what some of those words for knowledge mean. But before anything else, the first thing that Paul does as he prays, and that we can pray as well, is to thank God for all his people. He begins with, for this reason. So because of the gospel and the blessings that we have just seen, he thanks God for all his people. If the plan of God that he started before the foundation of the world to choose a people that he would rescue for himself is working, then we are going to see people coming to faith in Jesus because that is God's great plan in action. Paul sees this and he thanks God. In fact, nothing is more wonderful than to see someone becoming a Christian and taking their place in God's salvation plan. Last week, Tim said that sometimes uh, we can lose the wonder of being rescued. And we can lose that wonder of not just us being rescued, but of all the people who are Christians being rescued. When someone comes to faith in Jesus, it is something that we must thank God for. We must rejoice. And Paul knows that they are God's people because of two evidences. We see them in verse 15. First of all, they have faith in the Lord Jesus. That means that they have trusted him for their salvation. They acknowledge him as Lord. And secondly, they love all God's people. Faith in Jesus results in practical love for others, especially for those who are part of the church. Jesus said that we know who his disciples are by the love they have for one another. And notice that their love is for all God's people, not just the ones that they like, but every single one who has put their faith in Jesus. This means that we also are to thank God for other churches, groups of God's people who have faith in Jesus and show love for God's people. Sometimes we can see other churches as our rivals, but when we see God at work saving people, we must give thanks wherever that may be. As you pray, as you look at those names and faces in the prayer diary, make sure that you give thanks for them. Seeing them have faith in Jesus and showing that by loving others is a way of knowing for certain that the truth we heard in verses 3 to 14 is real. God's plan is in action. And I have to say that when I am praying at the moment and going through the prayer diary, I give thanks to God for you, for the faith in Jesus and the love for one another that is taking place at this time in isolation. There have been many phone calls, letters, 
and practical ways of showing love that demonstrates your faith in Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Notice also with me how Paul is continually praying. He says, I have not stopped giving thanks. And then in verse 17, I keep asking. This prayer of thanksgiving and what we're about to see is not a one-off prayer that Paul gives. It continually goes on. And so the same should be for our prayers. They should be continual. Let us make sure we are using those new prayer diaries that we received before we were in lockdown. Let's make sure we are continuing to pray for God's people. And when we do, as well as giving thanks for them, we are to pray some specific things that Paul shows us. These prayers are linked to knowledge. So in verse 17, we see Paul pray that God's people know God better. Notice that in verse 17. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Our biggest need as God's people is not better health or more money. It is not even to be out of lockdown. The biggest need for God's people, indeed for all people, is to know God. Now there is a sense in which as God's people, we do know God, but Paul prays here that we would know him better. The word know here is interesting. The Greek word for know is gnosis, but here the word is epignosis, which means a bigger knowledge, a a deeper knowledge. And this knowledge is more than intellectual knowledge. Uh, Not long after I moved to Pelsall, the Pelsall Village Centre opened. And Prince Edward came to visit to open up the village centre. Now some of you I know went to uh, see that opening and some of you got to meet Prince Edward. Some of you shook his hand. No doubt that some of you could tell me a great number of facts about him. And some of you could find out lots more facts about him. But no one in our church, as far as I know at least, would claim to really know Prince Edward. Because we aren't really part of his inner circle of friends or family. The knowledge talked about here is an intimate knowledge. In fact, in older versions of the Bible, a man and a wife were said to know each other when the Bible was talking about sexual intimacy. Now, the same word for know is not always used in a sexual way, but it's always used in the Bible when talking about an intimate, experiential knowledge of someone or something. So when Paul prays that we would know God, it is a deep, intimate, experiential knowledge. So how can we know God better in this way? Well, Paul tells us what we need. First of all, he prays to the glorious Father. Glorious is a way of describing glory, and glory is about revelation. The word glorious is, in fact, another word related to knowledge. It is rather like saying that the Father 
is the one who shines like the sun. So glory is about shining. He is a God who reveals himself. The God who shines like the sun so we can see him. And he reveals himself through giving us the spirit of wisdom and understanding. This refers to the Holy Spirit working in us so that we can understand more and more of God. And it's a spiritual work. It's the spirit of wisdom and understanding. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. That is why two people can listen to a sermon and the Christian thinks that the sermon is clear as a bell. The gospel has been presented and it's been presented clearly. And the Christian says, surely everyone will understand what the preacher was talking about. But the other person who is not a Christian just doesn't get a word of what is being said. The reason is not that the Christian is cleverer than the other one. It is because the Christian has the Holy Spirit who is giving understanding. We pray that the Spirit gives us more wisdom and understanding as we open up God's Word. And that's what we should be praying. When we open up the Bible, we pray, Lord, give me the spirit of wisdom and understanding that I would know you better. That's what we pray or should be praying on a Sunday as we come to, uh, under the Word of God. We pray, Lord, give me the spirit of understanding. Give all of us this spirit that we would know you better as we come under your Word. Why is it that Paul wants us to know God better? Well, it's because to know God better is to live for God better. The Bible explains the Christian as someone who is born again. When someone is born physically, they grow and mature and gain in understanding about and experience of the world around them. As born-again people in a spiritual sense, we grow and mature as we gain understanding about and experience of God himself. To know him better is to love him more, to trust him more, to persevere, because we know the God whose plan we are part of. So Paul asks for us to know God himself better. But notice the beginning of verse 18. It says, I pray that, meaning he has another request. His emphasis changes from knowing God better to a prayer that God's people would know God's blessings. At the beginning of this chapter, notice what Paul says in verse 1, chapter 3. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So these blessings that are talked about by Paul in verse 3 were then wonderfully outlined for us. Now Paul prays again that we would know them, not intellectually, but deeply and experientially. Notice how Paul asked God for this. He prays that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The heart is our innermost being. It's where our affections are that determine how we act. So what is in our heart, what we love and are moved by the most, determines how we live. 
Paul wants God to turn the lights on in our hearts to shine his glory there onto the blessings that are ours in Christ so that our affections are so moved that we live for God as we ought. He wants to, the lights to go in our heart, on in, the lights to go on in our hearts in order that you may know. Now again, the word know is there, but it's a different meaning, slightly different from the know in verse 17. This know in verse 18 is to see and experience. Let me illustrate this a little bit. At the moment, sport has been cancelled. But I'm sure you can remember uh, what it is to watch or participate in sport. Think about a sport you enjoy. I enjoy watching football. And I want you to imagine uh, England winning the World Cup in football. Now, if I want to see that World Cup final, there's a number of ways that I could experience it. So uh, the football results might come in on the Vidi printer, on the television, or I could read the results on the internet after it has happened. And I could experience England winning the World Cup in that way. But a better experience would be to go out with my friends, either around their house or to somewhere that's showing the game on the big screen, and watch the match with all of my friends and experience with them the, the joy of winning the World Cup. But an even better experience would be if I was to ab- able to source some tickets and go and watch the game in the stadium and watch England win the World Cup with all the other fans watching it live. What a great experience that would be. But the best experience of all would be to take part in the match itself, to be called up to the team, put in the the, the starting 11, and being part of the team that wins the World Cup. That would be the best experience of England winning the World Cup, better than the Vidi printer, being with my friends, even going to watch the match itself. The best experience would be that of taking part. And that is the kind of knowledge that Paul is talking about in verse 18 with regards to God's blessings. As Christians, we are part of God's plan of world history that he is in control of and that he is directing towards a final victory when he returns. And we are on the winning team. Right now, the game is taking place. We are on that winning side. The result is not in doubt at all. The knowledge that Paul prays for is that you would see and experience how awesome it is to participate in God's plan by being on the winning team. Paul wants us not just to stand on the sidelines, not just to have an intellectual knowledge that you might get by reading the results on the web, but to really experience the amazing blessings that he has praised God for in this chapter. That's the kind of knowledge that we have to have in our minds as we look at the rest of what Paul prays for regarding this. Specifically, Paul wants us to know three truths in this amazing way of participating in. First of all, the hope to which he has called you. Then, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And then, his incomparably great power for us who believe. So let's look at them in turn. First of all, the hope 
to which he has called you. This links into verses 4, 5, and 11, and words such as chosen and predestined. As part of God's plan, he has called us to be his children in a relationship with him which ends in heaven. Therefore, he has called us to a hope. On Easter Sunday, you may remember we were in 1 Peter, and we thought about a living hope. And I said on that Sunday that biblical hope is not hope so. Biblical hope is looking forward in faith to something that will certainly happen. The promises of God are not hope so's, but rather they are something we look forward to because we know that when God says something will happen, it will happen. Paul has been talking about the great salvation plan of God that he is bringing to fruition, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And we are included in this plan. We have the hope of this plan being completed, and it certainly will. And this plan is very personal. Because, for example, in, John chapter, in, in 1 John chapter 3, John explains this hope like this. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purifies themselves just as he is pure. We can live for Jesus with great hope because he has called us and will finish the work he has begun in us. Knowing the end that we will see him and we will be like him enables us to keep going in the present. Because following Jesus is always worth it. And so Paul prays that we know when the game is hard, when we're wondering, can I keep going as a Christian, that we have this hope of heaven. We need to know the hope to which he has called us. The second blessing Paul prays for God's people is that they would know, in verse 18, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. His glorious inheritance means that the inheritance is God's. So therefore, Paul wants us to know that we, his people, are his inheritance. Tim mentioned last week uh, when he talked about us being heirs, that this is Old Testament language, where God's people are his inheritance. This means that what God is waiting for is for all his people to be brought in at the end of time. This inheritance, God's people, is described as rich and glorious. To be rich means that it is valuable or precious. And to be glorious means that it will be shown off. Remember earlier that glory is a shining forth. So just think on that for a moment. In all of creation, and even in the new creation that God will make, the part that is most valuable and the bit that God wants to show off is his people. So that means you and me. We are precious and God wants to show us off to all of his creation. Paul wants you to know this, 
that you are precious to God and there is a day coming when all of God's people will be joined together and shown off together. What a day of joy that will be. Knowing this also helps us to love other Christians. Knowing that God's people are his inheritance means that we treat other believers with honor, knowing what they are in God's sight. So Paul wants us to know about, to see and experience, participate in our calling, our inheritance, and finally, his incomparably great power for us who believe. Verse 19 is an interesting verse because in the original Greek, there are four different words describing God's power. Uh, We see three of them here in our NIV. There is power, there is mighty, and there is strength. But what is translated in the NIV as the same power is the Greek word energia, which is where we get our English word energy from. So Paul is describing power by um, using superlatives, building on it. There is power, there is mighty, there is strength, there is energy. And Paul wants us to see that this is a great power, an incomparably great power. So he builds words upon words to describe it. And Paul wants us to know that this great power is for us. This means that this superlative power is at work for his people. Now we'll see in chapter 2 how this incomparably great power is at work to raise dead souls to life and to bring God's people together in unity. But Paul also means here that we have this power at work in us day by day so that there is power for godly living. This is important to know and experience. Sometimes we wonder whether we can even live as God intends us to live. It can be hard. Temptations can want us to go in the other way. But Paul says you have the power, this power, in you, working for you. Paul says to pray that we would know, see and experience this power at work for us. This is not praying that we would be given the power, but that we would know that this power is at work in us. We already have it. Some Christians have this wrong-headed view that if we would only just plug ourselves into God, well then we'd be able to live for him. That we need some kind of fresh injection of power every week. But God is not a plug socket that we plug into. It's more like a power line that is connected to our homes all the time. In our homes, it is connected to a power line that is a constant source of power that is always flowing. All the power that our homes need to be able to function is already there. You don't go outside every morning and and plug your house in. The power of God that we need to live for him is always connected to us all the time. Everything we need to live for him is already there. And in order for uh, to understand what kind of power this is, this great power, not only does Paul use different words to pile on top of each other, he gives us uh, an example of Jesus and how this power is at work in him. He describes four events 
where this power is used through Jesus. He says that God raised him, that God seated him, that God placed all things under him, and God appointed him. So let's think through this, and as we do so, be amazed at the kind of power that is at work for us. So in verse 20, uh, verse 20, we see that this power is the same, it says, as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. This means that we have life-giving power at work in us. So we know that death is a powerful enemy. Mankind, try as they might, for all of his power, cannot defeat death. But Jesus has risen from the dead. The enemy of death has been defeated. His power in us is life-giving power that enables us to be raised from the dead spiritually, from sin, but also power to live a new life in relationship with God. Life-giving power. We have new life in Christ. But Paul continues. He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. This means that we have a power with authority. Or this power trumps every other power. To be seated at the right hand means to be in the place of authority. And that is what has been given to Jesus because he has conquered death. And he's in the heavenly realms, which means it is God's authority where God rules and reigns. Notice how Paul then goes on to say that Jesus is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Now, in the city of Ephesus, we read in Acts chapter 19 that there was lots of powers there. There was demon possession. There was worship of Artemis. There was violence. There was extortion. Lots of power that was going on in that city. But Jesus, Paul says to these Ephesians, and he says to us in our day when there are lots of powers, is above all these things. So there is no earthly power, no spiritual power, no philosophy, no religion or belief that is more powerful than Jesus. He rules over everything in every age for all time. And we need to know this because we can sometimes feel overpowered or overwhelmed by the powers in this world. Powerful forces come at us, but we need to know that Jesus has authority over them. He is more powerful. And one day we will see this power at work for us when God in that seat of authority brings justice in his judgment of the world. The next demonstration of power is in verse 22. God placed all things under his feet. Now this is similar to the last one, but a different emphasis. If you picture Jesus seated on a throne, him being seated at the right hand shows his position of authority. But everything as he's seated on the throne is under his feet. So this means his power is not just in authority, he's not just declared to have it, 
but he rules with a conscious and active rule. That's what under his feet means. Everything is under him. He is consciously and actively ruling. So this is not just a life-giving power, not just a power with authority, but it is a sovereign power. This means that Jesus is in control of everything. Now, Paul has talked of the rulers, authorities, powers, and dominions. But here, he talks about everything else as well. That is that Jesus has under his feet, is actively in control of all of history, every person, every animal and plant and force of nature, every atom and molecule, every element on the periodic table, and those elements that haven't even been found yet. He has under his feet every nation, every culture, every planet, every star, every asteroid, and he has under his control how all of these things are moving together, and they are all working together in one plan that is according to his sovereign will. That and a billion other things that we don't even know are what all things is talking about. That is the power of God at work in us. How awesome is our God? How vast and beyond comprehension. Truly, incomparably great power. And this power is at work for us because God is in absolute sovereign control over everything that exists and works it all out for his glory and the good of his people. What a comfort to know that the situations we find ourselves in are situations that are under his feet, working together according to the purposes of his will. But there's even more. Finally, we see that God appointed him to be head over everything for the church. This means that we have Christ's power, that great power we've just seen, working in us and for us. The power we, that we have just seen is given to the church. You see, to be appointed means that Jesus was chosen for this role of being in sovereign control with authority, and he was chosen for the church. So all that Jesus is doing, all the power he is displaying is for the church or for our benefit. This helps us to understand verse 23. The church, it says, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus is the head and the church is his body. And the body gets its power from the head. The church then, God's people, are filled with the fullness of Christ. His body is filled with the fullness of the head. The power at work in you, in other words, as the body of Christ, is not just a bit of Jesus, but it is all of his life-giving, authoritative, sovereign power. All of it fills his body. Paul describes this as incomparably great power. There is nothing that compares to this. And Paul wants us to know it, to see and experience, to participate in. 
It is this power at work in us so that we can live for God. Our biggest need right now and at all times is to know God better and to know God's blessings. We pray this in suffering or when times are good. In both of those extremities of life, God's intention is that we know him better and know his blessings. So when we are praying for those who are suffering, yes, we pray that their suffering will end, but we don't pray that their suffering will end before they know in this suffering God himself better. And in their suffering, that the blessings of being in the people of God would be revealed to them in ways that they couldn't even know if they weren't going through this suffering. That's what we pray. Or when times are good and some wonderful blessing happens in our life, we pray, Lord, we thank you for this blessing. We thank you that this, this person has had this wonderful thing happen, but Lord, don't allow this blessing to take their eyes off of knowing you better. Indeed, may this blessing point them to the even greater blessings that we have in Christ. You see? So as you go through the prayer diary, you are going to see people that are suffering. You're going to see people that are lonely. You're going to see people that are having a great time. Some people are really enjoying the, the rest that some people are having during this lockdown period. Don't begrudge them that, but help them to use that time to know him better and know his blessings. Let me encourage you to spend some time this week meditating on these truths that Paul describes in Ephesians 1. And then in the light of it, pray. Pray for one another. Pray that we would have a greater knowledge of God and a greater experience of being on the winning side of history. Let's do that as we pray. Let us know him better and know his blessings. Well, as we close, we're going to pray, uh, sing a song uh, that declares to God that knowing him is the greatest thing of all. Let's Worship God and think about these things as we sing together, knowing you, Jesus.
Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen.